Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where this morning we broke a little news. And guess what? If you're the FBI, the CIA, the State Department, you're feeling a little more heat in your kitchen this morning. Why is that? Two powerful Senate Committee Chairman, Ron Johnson, head of the Governmental Affairs and Homeland Security Committee, Chuck Grassley, the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, the guy that controls the purse strings of federal agencies, well, they just set a wide-ranging new demand for documents in the Russia collusion probe, and they're going right at some of the most sensitive secrets that the CIA has on the Russia probe, some of the most sensitive secrets that the State Department has tried to keep from senators for a long time. And word on the street is President Trump has given the okay to release these documents, which means it'll happen maybe this month. This is a very important new development. Some of the golden calves in the Russia collusion case, things that we weren't willing to ask and talk about, are on the table. When we come back from the commercial break, I'm going to tell you about that. And then uh, we are going to go to a really important uh, conversation with the former Ohio Congressman Bob McEwen. He runs one of the most influential policy groups in Washington called the Center for National Policy. It's, it's a place where conservative policy ideas emanate from. It's got a lot of the old guard of the party, some of the new guard of the party. It's very influential. I, uh, often President Trump or other people will address or leave a message for the group when they meet every year. Their meetings coming up next month. We're going to talk about anarchy, tyranny, free speech in America right after these uh, commercial messages. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the Ron Johnson, Chuck Grassley letters, and then we're going to hear from the one and only congressman of Ohio, former congressman of Ohio, Bob McEwen. He is one of the more eloquent speakers that you'll ever hear. And uh, what he has to say about violence in America, censorship in America, insanity in America, it's worth listening to. So we'll be right back after these commercial messages. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And remember, if you like what we do at Just the News, if you like what we do at John Solomon Reports, the sort of conversations we have with major newsmakers, please support our sponsors. Please let our advertisers know how much you love them and appreciate what they do for us. They make it possible for all this great programming and news to come your way via the website, via the podcast, via the video player. So uh, we're going to get to the um, the big bombshell letters that have dropped on the CIA the FBI, the State Department, and the ODNI, the Office of Director of National Intelligence, in a second. New document demands coming from Johnson and Grassley. It's going to be a big deal. But first, we had some breaking news today. It's somebody that a lot of us have known. If we didn't know him, we certainly revere his career. Earlier today, Herman Cain, the former 2012 presidential candidate, ran for the GOP nomination against Mitt Romney. Uh, passed away after a battle with coronavirus. He was 74 years old. Herman Cain is a living example of the opportunity that exists for African Americans, Americans of all ages, races, because we are an upwardly mobile uh, society. Herman Cain, he was the CEO of Godfather's Pizza. If you like Godfather's Pizza, you have a lot to thank for Herman Cain. 
But before that, he had a long career at the Pillsbury Company. Yes, a very important food company. And he served his country as a governor for the Federal Reserve Bank in Kansas City. He was somebody who, on a daily basis, um, reminded us that anything is possible in America when you put your mind to it. You can run for president as a black man. You can create an incredible pizza company, a franchise like Godfather's Pizza. You can rise up in the corporate America, or you can serve your government through the Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, today's a day to remember a very special person. He had been in the hospital since July 1, um, uh, a few days, uh, about a week or 10 days after he uh, last was seen in public with President Trump at the rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Very, very sad day for uh, Americans of all political stripes because Herman Cain is more than just a Republican. He was a Navy man. He served in the Navy as a civilian systems analyst. He uh, was a Federal Reserve governor. He did a lot for his country, and I think we all are missing already uh, this great American entrepreneur and public servant. So in your prayers today, remember Herman Cain's family, and also remember, we keep getting reminded by this, whatever you think about the politics of coronavirus, it still is a very serious disease. It's one that we need to take seriously. Wear those masks, follow the good hygiene standards of washing your hands off, or we shouldn't have to suffer such losses as Herman Cain's life with this. So be careful, be safe. Uh, I know there's a lot of political things that are going on with coronavirus, particularly related to hydroxychloroquine and other things, but um, that virus just took the great American from us, and you should keep that in mind. All right, moving on uh, from the breaking news to another breaking story, but one that was original, unique, here at Just the News this morning. We are reporting that Charles Grassley and Ron Johnson, two powerful chairmen in the Senate, two Republicans, Johnson of Wisconsin, Grassley of Iowa, they delivered some letters earlier this week that put significant new demands on the State Department, the CIA, the FBI, Justice Department, and the ODNI for documents. And what these documents are, <clears throat> these are a little more sensitive. They're getting at the real sensitive stuff around the Russia collusion investigation. How sensitive, you say? Well, they want to know what exactly it was that the CIA sent the FBI about its analysis of Christopher Steele, the MI6 spy. Remember, the IG gave us a couple of declassified footnotes recently, and those were bombshells, right? They found out that the FBI knew early on that that uh, Steele was a victim or a target of Russian disinformation, that some of the information in his dossier was not only false, it was intentionally planted to smear Donald Trump by the Russian intelligence services. Despite that, the FBI continued to use it to support its FISA warrants. But what else did the FBI know or CIA know about Christopher Steele? What other red flags that aren't in the IG report did the CIA pass on? What was its assessment of collusion? Well, Senators Grassley and Johnson are drilling into that concrete patio and going to find out what's lying below it. In addition, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but I've been reporting this for some time. Devin Nunez had another report. It's classified. Never got released to the American public. It's a referral report to the CIA Inspector General that asked the CIA Inspector General to look at whether the people who did the uh, intelligence community assessment that in January, early January 2017, before President Trump became president, at the end of the Obama administration, when John Brennan and James Clapper and Susan Rice were in charge of the intelligence apparatus, uh, did they get their assessment wrong? Remember, the most controversial and headline-grabbing line in that assessment was that Russia's intervention in the election, which no one disputes, they hacked some emails, they bought some Facebook ads, was designed to help Donald Trump win the presidency and Hillary Clinton lose the presidency. Since that time, a lot of people have disputed that, uh, including the former CIA station chief in Moscow, one of our premier experts on Russia spying, Dan Hoffman. You've heard him on this very show. Uh, they have said the evidence doesn't point that way. That's not Putin's playbook. It's wrong. Well, uh, these two senators are now telling the CIA, we want to see Devin Nunez's analysis. We want it declassified. Turn it over. We want to find out if there were people inside the CIA at the time this conclusion came out that were troubled by it, disputed it, arguing against it. If they do, 
there was a high likelihood that some of our public officials gave false testimony to Congress. So that's a big one. Another one, they want to know just exactly from the CIA, the ODNI, the State Department, what did Great Britain, what did Australia, what did other Five Eyes allies of the United States, what did our foreign allies do? What were they asked to do? What dirt did they provide or warnings did they provide about Donald Trump or Christopher Steele? For the first time, I know a lot of you have been asking this for a long time, someone's asking the question, what did Great Britain, what did Australia do, why did they do it, when did they do it, and who requested it? These are really bombshell pressure points that these two senators are now putting on uh, the Russian investigation. We have the storyline, right? We know the court was misled, that Russia collusion was never true, and the warning signs were everywhere, and someone, a group of people, particularly at the top of the FBI and in the news media, maybe in the CIA, perpetrated this false story for a year or two or three. But some of these other remaining questions are now on the table. I'll give you one more. The FBI and the CIA have been asked, along with the State Department and ODNI, what do you know about this guy, Professor Mifsud, the guy who first instigates uh, a contact with um, George Papadopoulos that's used to eventually justify the opening of Crossfire Hurricane, um, the real files, whatever we have, whatever we've learned, whatever's news about Mifsud, about Halper, the other informant the FBI used, uh, Steele, these senators are drilling down for things that mostly have been kept behind closed doors, in skiffs, kept quiet. It looks like it's getting serious. There's not a lot of time. There's 96 days before the election to find out, uh, the 2020 election, to find out what really happened back in 2016. But finally, someone is asking for the type of documents that will change the the dialogue, the narrative in Washington. That's why this story is an important story. And you got it first on Just the News. If you haven't seen it, go to justthenews.com, look for my byline, uh, type in Grassley Johnson, whatever you want in the search box. You'll find the story easily, but this is important stuff. So is our conversation upcoming with Bob McEwen, the former Ohio Republican congressman, one of Washington's more eloquent speakers, somebody who has a lot of passion about America, about what's going on in America in the streets, in the courts, inside the FBI, inside the social media giants that are regulating free speech. Uh, this is a must-listen-to interview. You're he has some very profound things to say. He has some ideas. For instance, he has an idea how Americans upset with the school systems, not just about the fact that they may not be teaching in class over coronavirus, but over the sort of lessons and um, uh, agendas and, uh, and uh, uh, philosophies that educators are using to influence our, our past and future children. Uh, he's got a lot to say about this. You're going to want to hear this interview We'll get his latest reaction to Russiagate and the FBI and the institutions that let us down there. And uh, you're not going to want to miss this. We're going to do a quick commercial break. When we come back, Bob McHugh and the congressman, the head of the Center for National Policy. But first, this commercial break. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS. They know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, a very special friend, former Congressman Bob McEwen, the head of the Council on National Policy, CNP, one of the most influential conservative policy groups in America. Uh, he's joining us today. Congressman, welcome to the John Solomon Reports podcast. 
Oh, John, it's a great pleasure to be with you always. Thank you. Well, same here. I'm, I'm so grateful you've been able to make some time, and we, we greatly appreciate it. I know our listeners are going to enjoy this today. So you spent a great deal of years in Congress, and so you know what life is like in the swamp and in Washington. And I, I wonder what you think currently about what you see going on in Washington. I mean, the bar hearing just a couple days ago was such a spectacle that I can't imagine would have occurred 10 or 20 years ago in Congress. The state of politics, the state of policy, the state of decency in Washington, what's your take on it? Well, you're in, indeed correct. It seems that there are those who are more interested in power than they are in policy. And uh, at the point that they were able to get America to go to sleep and allow the Chinese to steal our in, in, uh, inventions, our investments, uh, as you know, 25 years ago, they began taking money from our local banks where we used to invest to people and would borrow for a car or a home or a church. And they began sending it to New York, and New York began sending it to China. And so our main streets were being denuded, and the money was going to build highways and buildings and overpasses and shipyards in, in China. And the folks in New York were making the difference and having a swell time. But America was losing its jobs. In fact, if you if you go on to the Federal Reserve is St. Louis. They keep track of that. If you look at the median income for America in 1996 and you run it all the way through up to 2016, you see that it's within $200. So it's an absolutely flat line, whereas the Chinese were continuing to grow at 6 and 9%. Oh, but when, uh, when this president I came didn't, in— I didn't know that. That's an amazing statistic. You, you should see the chart. I mean, it's, it, it really, really is. And then when you you see that this president came in and said, no, 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 we can build here and begin to wake the world up. And the factories began to return to America and the supply chains that we were dependent upon them. Mercedes, you couldn't build a Mercedes. You couldn't build a, right. a Samsung refrigerator without their approval. And those began. So the stock market in China began to go down 37 percent. The one in America went up 50 percent, half as far as since the beginning of the country. And as America took off, now we are in a tremendous political and economic battle. And that is, are we going to return to the old days or are we going to be allowed to continue to grow and prosper? And as a result, people are exposing themselves as to which team they're really on. And you see that many of these people on Capitol Hill and these these demonstrators are anti-American. They they are offended at the fact of making America great again. And that's where you and I come in. It is remarkable. I, I just can't, you know, I grew up in the, the 1960s when I remember, you know, some of the uh, racial protests that were peaceful and meaningful, and there were real issues back then that heroic people, John Lewis and Martin Luther King and others, brought to our attention in a peaceful way, but they didn't try to destroy our country uh, with the hundreds of millions of dollars we've now seen in damages to businesses and other things. When you when you look back now uh, over history, uh, what is this current maelstrom about? Is it really about race or is there some other dynamic going back, uh, going on? I know you have some pretty strong feelings about what's really behind some of these movements. Um, what, what's your, what's your mm -hmm. diagnosis, doctor? <laughs> well, one of my best friends has been uh, Ed Meese, who was the chief of staff for Governor mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan in Sacramento, and then uh, came to America as counsel to the president and then attorney general. And we've, we've, made sure that we got together at least once a week now for nearly 30 years. And, and uh, he made the observation recently that, that the only time that, that America was truly in the position of disintegrating, of, of disappearing, was under uh, President Lincoln when the insurrection inside was to do away with America. And then he said, and currently, when these people want to do away with America. He said, in World War II, we knew with enough time and energy we were going to win that. But this is when our future is really, truly at stake, that these folks, as they, as they spray across the, the, the stores in Portland and in Chicago and elsewhere, abolish America, and that all cops are bad. Mm -hmm. And then for the first time in our history, they begin to pull down George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Ulysses Grant, but pull down the, those that cr made this country 4% of the population of the world, John, 4%. 
creates more books, more plays, more symphonies, more copyrights, more inventions than the rest of the world combined. 30% of all the goods and services are made by this little 4%. When a ship is attacked on the high seas, it's happened over 300 times last year. Right. The only people to whom the world can, can appeal are the 327,000 Americans that wear the uniform of the United States Navy. So the stability and standard of the world has been this nation. If you take down America, the rest of it is a piece of cake. And so that is why this battle is so critical this time. There are those that literally are, are despise our freedom in our nation. When you um, when you look out and you just uh, that line that you just you know the, the reminding people of all the great things America does that we don't seem to celebrate today. We seem to we seem to denigrate instead of celebrate what makes America so special. And I think you did it in three hundred words or less, more eloquently than I could if I had ten thousand words. That was very very impressive. Um, what, do you believe, what happened? Did someone get to our kids? Who made these angry Absolutely. protesters in the street? Absolutely. How did this happen? That's it. When you see these Black Lives Matter, who are people who are primarily, overwhelmingly, millennial females, white millennial females, and they're standing there screaming at these African-American police policemen and using the foul language, and, and, and as the governor of, of New York said, America was never that great. And these people say America was never great. You ask them about America, they're at a loss. They, their sense of history, as we've all seen, you ask them, what, what was the 4th of July about? Well, I don't know. Uh, somebody will say independence. Independence from whom? And they'll say things like China or who did we fight in, in World War II? When, when was the Constitution passed? And they said 1984. So you begin to see that their, their sense of history has been so distorted that the only thing they can tell you about America is slavery, slavery, and slavery. That seems to be the only thing that they've ever been taught. And let me just take another sentence or two and remind you that, that for thousands of years, people had hoped to someday fly. But it was the Americans that invented the airplane and the light bulb and the telegraph and the telephone and the global positioning system, a ship parking in Hong Kong or, or at this very moment is using a GPS or flying over Africa, using a GPS system conceived, invented, and maintained by Americans. A uh, Mercedes dealer in Buenos Aires is purchasing a part from Stuttgart, Germany, using an internet that was conceived, invented, and is maintained by Americans. America is, is the source of of stability and strength in, in the world. And these people don't recognize because they've lived in this beautiful allure. There are, there are skyscrapers all over the planet, John. Why? Because an American named Elijah Otis invented the safety elevator. Right. And, and there are places where it's 100 degrees. Why? Because an American, American named Willis Carrier invented the air conditioner. And so these people grow up living in a paradise that kings and queens just a uh, hundred years ago wouldn't even dream about. And they sit there and complain about this country because they've never been taught how unique and how special it is. That's the sad part. Mm. Uh, well, you, and, and okay. so it has to do with the education system. The education system has, has gone after world war one, they began this process of deconstructing our founders. And so I was on a call, and I think it was C-SPAN or something, and this person mentioned that, that Benjamin Franklin had had 54 children out of wedlock. Now, if you just stop and think about that, the, the possibility of such a thing is, is it's just beyond comprehension. I mean, you, but nevertheless, they would believe that. There is no evidence or record of any promiscuity on the part of Benjamin Franklin prior to the 1920s. It was only after communism began to prosper in 1917, began to move in the individual countries that they began to, through the Frankfurt School, take over our universities and then to change our history books and began to fill these things so that people don't know anything about our founders. And for example, the founders, they refer to them as slave owners. Prior to the founders of the United States of America, John, prior to the founders of the United States of America, slavery was ubiquitous. It was throughout all recorded history, throughout scriptures, through everywhere. After the founders, those men, James Madison, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, the finest people in the history of mankind, after them, slavery has been anathema. And, and the only place, 14 of the 18 largest are in Africa still, but then other four in the Middle East, but America led the way to put a stop to slavery. And it was those men that did, that's why we honor them. They said, well, they had slave. Well, they had slaves when they were young. By the time they died, slavery was on its way out. And that's why America has been honored throughout the world. And these 
little kids with their spray paint and their foul language and their screaming and uh, don't have a clue as to why they were honored in the first place. It's um, your, your group is a place where particularly Republicans, but everyone's welcome to go, but it goes for policy ideas, for prescriptions, for coming up with the next big idea that maybe can make America just a little bit better. When you look at the education system and the, and the 20 or 30 year drift towards, you know, what people say is a left leaning um, education curriculum, what's your prescription to stop that, to balance it, to get the ideals that you're talking about back into the mainstream of universities and colleges and high schools and grammar schools um, is your group working on any education reforms that will address this sort of um, uh, the, uh, eviction of history? John, thank you for that. The, competition only works every time. Socialism. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good. That's a good fails record. <laughs> every time. Socialism fails, and our education system. They began in the 1960s to do away with the local schools. And, be, and then made it such that you had a child uh, in one school district, another one in, in another one. You couldn't support both the PTA of both, and they did away with the, with the local schools, began to consolidate. Then they could control until now. They, they've now diminished the education as a process. What we are experiencing at this moment in 2020 is we're seeing the people begin to recognize the chaos in the educational system. You recognize that you really don't need to spend $150,000 a year to go to to Harvard when when they're not, all they're going to do is have a have a, a, a virtual meeting on the computer anyway. Right. If you can sit at home and you can meet with the finest economists and have the finest economists in the world, and when you don't understand, you back up and listen to it again. When you let the technology that has been uh, you've had the foot against the door against technological advancement in the higher education uses this paradigm and this model from the 17th century. You let this competition come through there and then come down to the schools. You, the schools don't want to open because they're in an effort. Uh, if the schools don't open, people can't go to work. If they can't go to work, they're going to be frustrated financially and hopefully, and that's the goal in order to get rid of this president. So you're going to see the teachers union continually fight opening schools. Well, all right, if that's, if that's the way you want to be it, then we don't have to pay taxes for schools that aren't open. Right. So if we take that money and we give it to parents, then individually, nobody cares about that child as much as the parents. And then they can bargain. And they say, well, who, who would go to the inner city? You let a, a, a single mother, $19,000 a year in Washington, D.C. You let a, a single mother with three children stand on a street corner and wave $60,000 over her head and say, who wants to come teach my child? She will be run over with people say, oh, your son learns only in the morning from six to nine in the morning. I'll be there. Your, your, your child only learns when he's moving around. Uh, I, I can teach him. You begin to get the competition and say, well, what about the inner city school where it's so terrible and nobody? I'll tell you what will happen to that school. It'll close for 24 hours. Right. And then somebody that knows how to run a school system will come in there and get the teachers. They're sitting cross-legged on the desk out of the room and get the spray paint off the wall. And, and, and people will be in, in charge because competition only works every time. And when you put competition in the educational system, we are potentially, with the proper decision made in November, on the threshold of the greatest revolution in, in technology and advancement in education that this country has been needing for over a, nearly a century now. It can be a dynamic, exciting time, particularly for the inner city, particularly for those that are stuck in schools where they're unsafe, where they're, where they're, they're being bullied, where they're, where they're being harassed, where, where they're unsafe, where they're being taught anti-family, anti-church, anti-country, and it, it, can, it can be fixed now if we empower the parents rather than giving it to the unions. It is uh, eerily similar to uh, when I was growing up as a young reporter in the great state of Wisconsin, a few clicks away from you in Ohio. Um, there was a governor by the name of Tommy Thompson who invented an idea with, I think, uh, Governor Engler of Michigan called School Choice. And uh, Tommy Thompson reached across the aisle to an African-American Democrat in Milwaukee by the name of Polly Williams, and they created the first school choice movement, which is if you don't like the way your schools are 
training your children, you can take the funds and go to a private school. And that gave rise to the charter schools. And there's been a lot of innovation and a lot of parents who who go there uh, or have taken advantage of these experiments have really seen the benefit and crow about the benefit as sort of a liberation from a one-size-fits-all education system. What you just described, and it seems like the next iteration of school choice, which is, all right, you closed down our schools. Maybe COVID's a blessing in disguise. Is the idea here to create a new generation of school choice ideas where parents can extricate and train their children in new ways? And, and the schools, <clears throat> having 5,000 people, my daughter went to a school that was larger than my hometown that I grew up in. Wow. Having schools of five and six, that doesn't improve the quality of the education. Brother, when the heads of Europe, they were they were taught with a tutor one-on-one. That's the ultimate. The closer that you are to and it doesn't take all day. You spend an hour or two with a master, and you can learn as much as you would if you're with a, a large group, number one. Number two is, you know, in Washington, D.C., as you mentioned, when they had this, they had this lottery program for, for the uh, school choice. Right. And on the days that that happened, the Coliseum was absolutely filled to capacity. And with the parents and the children, and they're praying and hoping, and as they would draw each name, as you would see the families, they would cheer and clap and hug and cry, and they'd be so excited. And then, of course, all but a few hundred of them would, would walk away disappear, uh, disappointed. Right. When, when Obama came in, he said, we can't have people have, being able to choose, go to a decent school. They need to be in the socialized, incompetent, dangerous school. They need to all be there. And when he did it, the people in, in Washington, D.C. erupted and said, all right, we can't do that. Um, uh, what we'll do is we just won't have any new people. And so those of you that have it, you'll be able to keep it. And so there just weren't any new people. And after four years, after his first term, it's now disappeared. Hmm. People, particularly those in the inner city, those that, that send their children off just praying that they come back alive. Right. Uh, th- those, if we care about them at all, if we have any compassion in our hearts at all, we will defeat these radicals, the Black Lives Matter leftists, the Maoists that that despise America, burn our cities to the ground. We will defeat them and be able to empower the family again to be able to choose what's best for their children. It's a a remarkable opportunity. And if you look, we had a story on Just the News the other day where I think it was San Francisco, but one of the school districts, or maybe it was one of the California school districts, as I recall, the teacher said they wouldn't come back until the school uh, system shut down the charter schools, the choice schools, the opportunity schools. Um, the competition. Yeah. These are teachers that are afraid of competition on the merits. And I think that that's what's a remarkable moment. I think we, they showed their true colors in that moment of, uh, we'll hold your exactly. kids in your classrooms hostage uh, until you take away the choice. That's the debate that's going on here. And, and it's in fact, you don't have to take my word for it. You can go and actually see the letter that these teachers uh, and teachers unions wrote. Um, and they p- forgot their facade. They forgot their facade that it's yeah. always for the children. It's always for the children. You know, it's not for the children at all. If those children are going to a school where they're actually learning in a matter of no time at all, they learn their ABCs, they learn their phonics, they'll be able to read, they're empowered to read. And there are 13 schools in, in Baltimore, Maryland, where there is not a single child, not one, that meets the, the, the minimum standard. Mm. So, but go ahead. You were that, on. that record of failure is unacceptable. We're better than that, I know. And, um, you know, exactly. I know so many teachers and I've been blessed my whole life to have great teachers. And my son, who was special, had special needs, had the most amazing teachers. So they're individual teachers and we're never condemning them. We're condemning the philosophy that there can't be more than one uh, one opportunity. Uh, there, that there's something wrong with competition. Competition has always been great in America uh, until recently, it seems like, when we're afraid of competition. But uh, I want to pivot well, we to- We want to free them up. We want to free those teachers yeah. up to be able to teach. And it's exactly what I, what I told you. The, yeah. the, the socialized school system that, that, doesn't, that doesn't teach, that you, you empower the local schools to, to, to compete. Right now, if you have a teacher on one side of the hall that can teach and dedicates her heart and soul and to teach those fourth graders how to read and write and multiplication tables, and you have one across the hall that doesn't do anything and doesn't care, and the kids are, are failing, the answer is from the left is that you need to pay the incompetent teacher more money. The answer from the conservative is, no, no, you need to empower that teacher who loves those kids. That's Allow awesome. them to advance. 
Yeah. Go ahead. Such an important point. Um, I wanted to pivot to the bar uh, hearing yesterday and something he said. He, for the first time, I heard the Attorney General Bill Barr say uh, that the Russia uh, scandal was a bogus. He used the word bogus for the first time. A lot of us who've reported on it for years have been using it for a couple of years because the facts warrant it. It isn't because we're in the game of politics or spin. The facts warrant that it was there was no evidence of wrongdoing, and they kept investigating anyways. They kept spying. But um, I want to step back. You've had Eric Greitens, uh, a Republican elected governor in Missouri, driven out of office with a criminal case that later turned out to be frivolous. On the day of the trial, the prosecutor, Kim Gardner, the same woman now prosecuting the McCloskeys, the the couple that had their guns out the day the rioters came through their neighborhood, uh, she came to the court and said, you know what, I didn't have this evidence after all. I never really had it. We didn't have the tape. We didn't have the photo. We didn't have the extortion. All the allegations in the case were bogus. You've seen what what went on now, all the allegations here in the Russia case and all the um, abuses that are now laying in plain open. What is going on in law enforcement? Have we reached a stage now where political weaponization of law enforcement is going to become the norm? Well, it's a very dangerous term. And people understand that when there is chaos, they then give up their liberty in order to have stability. And so whenever there's an effort at an overthrow of a government, they usually create an economic crisis that then creates a political crisis in the street. So when they want, when Jimmy Carter wanted to get rid of the Shaw, then he, he put sanctions on the government there. People were then unemployed. All of the American and, and European government businesses began to withdraw, throwing right. people in the street. Right. Then they make the, the chanting, and then you overthrow the government. That's what, what we're in the midst of seeing at this time. Uh, George Soros has financed two people, those who, who are the uh, prosecutors are supposed to be the, the the district attorneys for Chicago, for Philadelphia, for Maryland, for St. Louis, for these major places where they will not enforce the law so that you have this, this kind of, of activity going on. Then who counts the ballots? He then invested in, in secretaries of state so right. that then you could have fraudulent elections. Now, if the American people can can become aware of that and quit electing these these people, then we can save the country. If not, he understands that the chaos that follows, he'll be able to bring down this, the greatest nation on earth. And we are just on the threshold of going either way. I, however, I am extremely optimistic that we can save this thing and, and have a, a, a greater rebirth of freedom, as, as Abraham Lincoln referred to it, because we see what's going on, that the Jesse Smollett situation in right. Chicago, uh, where it was a, a fraud from day one. And, and now when you see the chaos going on of, of young blacks being killed at the rate of dozens each week and the mayor of Chicago using the F word, telling the, the president of the United States using the F word to, to go away. When, if Hopefully the people will rise up and, and do what is right for the country. And what we see going on in Washington was that they had this thing going. America was about to economically militarily and politically become a second-rate power and allow the Chinese to pass in each one of those areas. And they were excited about that. And Donald Trump threw a wrench into their entire works, and they couldn't stand it. And immediately after the election, the, the Hollywood folks began to appeal to the members of the Electoral College, say, go ahead and cheat. You don't have to vote for him, even though you said you were going to. But when the Electoral College elected him, then they tried to prevent the success at the inaugural. And then immediately after the inaugural, 17 minutes after he was sworn in, the Washington Post, owned by Bezos, who owns Amazon, which is all part of those that give hundreds of millions of dollars to Black Lives Matter, those people then began to have a scenario in which they were convinced that with enough noise that they could impeach the president. And so when they when they got uh, Mueller and he brought in all of these people that have been proven crooks from when they took down Enron and elsewhere, had been sanctioned by the court, he, he got every the dregs of the Justice Department, got them all under his control with plenty of money and went on for two and a half years. And in all of that could not come up with a single thing, no matter how much they tried and how much John uh, or the uh, Scarborough and all these other programs began to uh, support them. They still couldn't get the job done. And when it blew up in their face, then they said, oh, what the heck? We're just going to impeach him for general purposes. We're not going to accuse him of a crime because they want to undo our system. So in answer to your question, is that our future? I tend to think not, but it will be decided at, at the first 
Tuesday after the first Monday in November <laughs> as to which direction this country is going to go. Jeez. And I believe we're going to choose properly. And this chaos that they have thrown in our face, the American people will say, I don't want that. That's not my future. I want jobs. I want factories that are where they're cutting ribbons, not burning them down. I like them where they're putting up statues, not tearing them down. And that's what's at risk. It is exactly what our founding fathers gave us that first Tuesday of November 4 to make big decisions like this. And it's remarkable that 244 years later, it still works. Even with all this chaos, we still have a system that works. Checks and balances still seem to have the uh, intended weight that our founding fathers gave us, which we're so blessed and lucky for, though. You might not hear a lot of that. The today. longest serving government in the history of mankind. We're one of the youngest countries, yeah. but the oldest government on earth. Every constitution has changed repeatedly since that time. Yeah, no, it's a, it was a great experiment that has become a great form of governance, and we just need to embrace it again and get through these difficult times. Um, you have a, a, your seasonal meeting coming up in a couple of weeks. I think uh, you, you often the president attends the CMP meeting because it's so important. Can you tell us a little bit about what's the, what's the big ideas? What are the important agenda items that CNP and conservative policy thinkers are going to be talking about heading into the, the final 80, 70, 60 days of the election? Well, one of, one of the things that we're going to, to discuss is this Black Lives Matter. Now, that, that's a, a, a front. Whenever somebody has a front group, it's always going to be something good. It's never, let's throw children out windows or let's step on puppy dogs. It's always <laughs> that, something point. that everyone would agree to. But yeah. who's behind it? And the folks behind it, if you look, if you just go online, you see that these are, are single women Maoists who have a contempt for men in particular and for the family in general. And they, they want to just deconstruct the American family and, and men and have and the riots behind it are for the purpose of undoing our, our nation. So we're going to talk about the Black Lives Matter and then just discuss, educate folks on this whole thing as to who ended slavery in the first place. And as you know, this was the first nation on earth in our constitution. We quarantined the, the importation of slaves. Right. Uh, no, no, no other nation had ever done that. And I, whenever I speak to many of the groups, particularly the, the folks that claim to be experts on that, ask them, when was the slave trade ended in America? And thus far, no one has ever been able to tell me because it's in a hidden place where they would never find it. It's in the Constitution of the United States. And it says in Article 1, Section 9, that they're prohibited from beginning in the year 1808. And so on January 1st, in a law that was signed by Thomas Jefferson, passed in March of 1807, it said that on the first day that they could, they would no more slaves, and that would begin to end the slave trade. It would begin to atrophy, and that would be the end of it. But the founder of the modern Democrat Party, Andrew Jackson, there was, there was a Jackson Day dinner in every Democrat county, and every county in America has a Democrat dinner called the Jackson Day dinner. And, and they, he then began to, to try to restore slavery and bring in a new slave state that was ended by the Republicans under Abraham Lincoln. And every county in America every year has a Republican Lincoln Day dinner. So those are the, the fights that now they've gone back rather than having bound up the nation's wounds, which we did for all of these years, and we were healed. And after the Civil War, uh, Robert E. Lee wore his blue uh, northern uniform to send a message to everyone. We are one nation now, and, and we, we honored each other's uh, uh, grave sites and, and elsewhere, and we lived in peace. Until now, these folks have come back, communists, people that hate freedom and free enterprise, they found out that, that the, they couldn't, America was so rich that they couldn't get people to hate the rich people like they did in poor countries. And so now they've tried to drive a wedge with color. And so that's all they ever speak about. They constantly want to drive a wedge between the races. And we have to keep our eyes on what brought us as a nation together, which was God, who gave us life, gave us liberty, that it is God that makes us one in each other's sight. So they had to get rid of God first. Then they had to be able to take innocent life, and now they're wanting to take our liberty. I believe the nation is right on the threshold of this crossroads in which we're going to choose to reinforce. We have a president who's committed to reinforcing our understanding that our, our freedoms come from God, and that's what made America unique on the planet. 
It's a great point and um, uh, well said. Um, last question, because I know you're busy and you got to get back to work, but I wanted to, every election seems to turn on a singular question when it boils down. In 64, it was, do you want your child to be the daisy child? In 84, it was, are you better off than you were four years ago? In 2016, it was, do you want to drain the swamp? In 2020, what is the question? You, you've been through so many elections and have such an astute view of the American electric. What is the question that ultimately voters will ask themselves that will decide this election? Well, hopefully, it, it, particularly I'm concerned about, about women and, and mothers. And that is if they, if they focus on people, then they'll pick and choose between who's the best looking or whatever. They, they need to focus on the safety. And that is if you are not allowed to speak your mind on the college campus. In fact, if you can't even get a job, if you can't even be hired unless you are molded in, and if you don't fit, if you uh, have a home or a business that, that, that the majority doesn't approve of, then you could lose all of that. They'll bomb you out. They'll attack you. They'll, they'll uh, spray paint your car. They'll do all of these things. So the question is whether or not we're going to have tyranny or we're going to have freedom. And the, that's the question that we see. Do, do you want do you want Portland? Portland? Do you want Chicago? Do you want uh, New York? Do you, is that the future of America? Or is are we are we going to we always were taught to stand when a flag was passing. I remember sitting beside Gerald Ford at, at the Hall of Fame parade in, in 1976. Wow. And every time a flag came by, which was with every every band that came by, every time he would stand when the flag went by as as World War Two veterans would do. And now we see people that that they bow down and put themselves in a supine Supplicative position when the flag goes by, ignoring the fact of the freedom of those that died that they could have it. Which one's going to be our future? We have a political party and a political leader that that doesn't that ignores what's happening in in Portland and in St. Louis and these places, and said that's no, no problem. We don't need to worry about it. That believes that we can continue to have our jobs shipped abroad, and he isn't concerned about that. That, that honors people who who spit on our flag and ignore and have contempt for our flag, or we have a president that appreciates the, those who wear the uniform of the country, respects the flag when it, when it goes by, respects the policemen that keep us safe, and respects those that save and invest and make jobs. That's, that's the question before us, and I think that we're going to opt for the side of liberty. I really believe we will. All right. Well, folks, you've been listening to Congressman Bob McEwen, a good friend and a, a big policy thinker and, of course, a great public servant. Congressman, I can't thank you enough for spending so much time and sharing your thoughts. And I think we had some big ideas that will be floating out through the podcast. I'm very, very excited. So thank you so much and good luck with your annual meeting or your seasonal meeting coming up. And uh, we'll be keeping an eye on what CNP and you're doing going into the fall election. Well, thank you, John. You left out one more thing, and that is that I'm a big, big fan of John Solomon. Oh, so you're very kind. Thank best. you. That goes both ways. All right, folks, we're going to come back from the commercial break in a second and wrap things up. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down, my blood sugar is down, my weight's down, my health is up, my sleeping patterns are better, my metabolism is up. If you wanna experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, 
Thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. All right, folks, that wraps it up. What a conversation. You know, what we've been trying to do on John Solomon Reports, on Just the News with our big interviews, is to bring in people who are directly in the know or who have big ideas who can inform us leave us with an idea that we can take back to the water cooler the boardroom the dinner table um the church pew well i think you saw from bob McEwen. he's just one of those sort of guys we're so lucky i want to thank the former congressman for being here i want to thank you for your patience and listening to us and tuning us in and downloading us uh your john solomon reports continues to grow as a uh, platform as a podcast. We're so grateful. We want to hear from you. If you've got an idea for the podcast, drop us a note on Just the News. If you got a guest that you'd like to hear from, drop us a note. We want to know. Tweet at us. We'll, we'll get to it. Uh, but we're trying to serve your interest, try to make sure you get the news, the information, the perspective um, that you can use. We're not trying to indoctrinate you. We're simply trying to give you information so you can make up your own mind. And we're so grateful you listen. If you hadn't had a chance, uh, I, it's pretty clear that the Russia investigation and its unraveling is accelerating. It's a long, hot summer in Washington. And we're not just talking about the high humidity and hot sun we've had uh, between John Durham, Chuck Grassley, Ron Johnson, Lindsey Graham, and Devin Nunez and others. The heat is turning up. Those who are witnesses, those who are targets or of investigation are getting lawyers, they're lawyering up, uh, documents are being requested, interviews are being conducted, cooperation deals are being discussed, and um, the final chapter of the sad Russia saga, the false narrative, the abuse of the FBI and the intelligence system, it's coming to its final conclusion. John Durham, Ron Johnson, Chuck Grassley are going to have a big say in how that final chapter is written. I hope you got a little bit of a sense of where it's headed from our podcast today. In the meantime, before we come back next week, I want you to have a blessed weekend. Be healthy, be safe, enjoy that family. And if you need a news fix, please go visit justthenews.com and tell your friends about it. We're always keeping on top of the news so you can check out what the facts are instead of all the spin and indoctrination elsewhere in the media. I'm John Solomon. You've been listening to the podcast, John Solomon Reports at justthenews.com. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Hey folks, can your IRA or 401k stand up to the next financial crisis that our top economists are saying is right at our doorstep? By allocating a percentage of your retirement into physical gold and silver with a tax-free rollover, you can diversify and safeguard your holdings from a turbulent market and economic downturns. All you got to do is put your IRA back on the gold standard. With a multi-trillion dollar trade deficit and ongoing geopolitical instability, experts say now is the time to make the switch. Find out how to safeguard your assets with a tax-free rollover with a Genesis Gold IRA, the only IRA that can hold physical precious metals. Protect your retirement today with one simple phone call and receive your free gold and silver guide from my good friends at Genesis Gold. To do that, call Genesis Gold Group today at 800 200 G-O-L-D, gold. That's 800-200-GOLD. And find out how you can add precious metals to your IRA. One more time, let me give you the number. It's 800-200-4653. gold Or visit them at genesisgoldgroup.com. Genesis Gold, welcome to the John Solomon Just the News family. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.